calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hi, I'm Sybil Patry. Welcome to My Charter Story podcast. In this episode, we're going to meet Greg Campion, CFA. Greg's story is a bit different from the ones we've encountered so far. His is an underdog story of a middle-class kid from a small community with modest means who wanted to prove that he belonged in the finance industry. It is a story of failure and ultimate success, of the highs and lows of the process of becoming a CFA charter holder, a story of not giving up and persevering even through the most trying moments in life. If you really think about it, Greg's story has more similarities than differences with the stories we're highlighting on the podcast. Greg felt that the CFA charter would give him the sense of belonging and respect that he was looking for. That along with his perseverance and grit really show that we're all searching for very similar outcomes, even if the means are different. Welcome, Greg. Let's start out by having you tell the audience a bit about where you grew up. Sure. So I grew up in a town called Cheshire, Connecticut, small town, kind of middle class upbringing, public school, all that sort of stuff. Went to college at a small liberal arts school in Massachusetts called Stonehill College, and then graduated Stonehill in uh, 2000. So you graduated from college right as the stock market was in a very hot period. Yeah, right during the height of the dot-com boom. So everybody was just absolutely crazy for internet stocks. I was super interested and kind of had become a fan of watching CNBC from my dorm room and all that kind of stuff. Unlike a lot of us who navigated our college undergraduate programs a bit unsure of where we wanted to end up, you knew fairly early on that you wanted to be on Wall Street or in investment banking. Is that directly where you headed after graduation? I had applied to a lot of different types of roles coming out of college. Honestly, I, I didn't think I really had a path to get there because, you know, coming out of a small, little known school, you know, I thought it was probably unrealistic. Even though Greg didn't believe he had the pedigree that would allow him the opportunity to work for a big firm, through some connections he had made in college, he was able to land an interview with Lehman Brothers in Boston. To his surprise, he nailed the interview and was offered a job with the Lehman Brothers sales team. I remember walking into that office for the first time and looking around and seeing this very lively trading floor environment with people talking loudly and yelling and you know st you know stock tickers on the walls and all that kind of stuff and i just remember being like totally in awe and uh i ended up getting the job there i ended up spending the first year of my career at lehman brothers in boston it was a great year although i would say in retrospect i think i was like extremely timid 
uh, the whole time I was there. And I think I, I think I kind of had a chimp on my shoulder a little bit because I hadn't attended an Ivy League school. In his first year at Lehman, Greg excelled, learning the business quickly. Management took notice and asked him to move down to New York to join their official training program. The training program was extremely intimidating walking into it. It was probably, you know, I think it was around 100 or maybe 120 uh, kids right out of school. And they sent around a book, uh, like a Facebook. This is pre-actual pre Facebook that we know today. And, and you could see everybody's resumes. And, and I was just like so intimidated and looking at all the resonates because everybody was like, okay, Harvard, Yale, Brown, Stanford, right? It was like literally like a roll call of all the best schools in the world. And here's Greg Campion, Stonehill College. And I'm like, oh God, like how am I going to compete against these guys? Though Greg may have lacked confidence in his own skills at the time, he completed the program. And over the next few years, he started to advance up the career ladder at Lehman. So I was a salesperson covering hedge funds and mutual funds, and it was my job to basically call them and talk to them about the latest research that Lehman had put out or talk to them about IPOs that we were selling and all that kind of stuff. And so it was a great job for someone like earlier in their career, super fast paced, talking to really smart people all the time. I couldn't have asked for a more exciting environment to kind of start my career in. And I started to prove to myself that I was worthy and I could hang with these folks. But I did not shake that feeling. Though Greg may have lacked confidence in his own skills at the time, he completed the program. And over the next few years, he started to advance up the career ladder at Lehman. And so I started thinking, okay, what can I do to kind of level myself up from a career perspective? And, and there were two things. One was CFA and one was the MBA that I was thinking about. I ended up pursuing the MBA first. So I did an MBA in finance at night and great experience, worked hard for it. But when I finished that, I was, I remember I still kind of had this feeling like, uh, there's, uh, there's something missing. And I spent a lot of my time as a salesperson with research analysts, both from my own firm and then also research analysts and portfolio managers on the client side, right? So I, so as a salesperson, I would attend meetings all the time where I was essentially making the connection, right? So I would, I would, you know, take our research analyst who was visiting from London and walk that person around New York and go see a bunch of hedge funds. And I would attend all those meetings and it was awesome because I'm sitting here listening to some of the smartest people in the world talk about what their views are on investment markets and uh, where the economy's going and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, I mean, what better education? But for me, I got a little frustrated because the salesperson is kind of expected to, you know, make the meeting happen and then sit back and be quiet. And, and I remember just having the experience many, many times where I was like, you know, here's the research analyst giving a business card with CFA on it to the hedge fund person giving a business card with CFA on it. And here I am, the salesperson that I, in my mind, others were viewing me as someone who probably, you know, was not at the same level intellectually as where, where they were. So that, I definitely had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder around that. And so I think that almost like a 
desire for respect, if I'm honest with myself, initially drove me to start pursuing the CFA charter. That search for respect motivated Greg to enroll in the CFA program in 2007. The three-letter credential next to his name was a strong motivator. He would be seen as an equal with not just a seat at the table, but also with something to say. He took it very seriously, studied hard, and in December of that year, passed level one on his first attempt. That's the good news. The bad news is that would be the only only level that I would take and pass the first time. I got to know failure quite well throughout my CFA process. But anyways, level one went well. Honestly, I think growing up and going through school, like I had always been pretty good at test taking and just even just like memorization, I was really good at. And I feel like there's an incredible amount of volume of information on level one, but I thought, you know, the way I had studied in the past for tests prepared me for that. Now, level two, I found to be a different animal altogether. So level two, I thought I was taking seriously, but I think once I actually got close to the exam, I realized, oh my gosh, this is an absolute beast. And this is like no exam I've ever taken in my life. And I think it wasn't just the volume of information, but I think it was the complexity. And then I think it was the actual proving and the test that you know that this information through, you know, complex calculations, et cetera. And so I was served a large uh, serving of humble pie in level two. And as soon as I walked out of that exam, it was clear as day. I just failed that exam. And so, you know, a couple of months later, I got uh, results and sure enough, I was correct that I failed it. But I wasn't deterred. I learned that, okay, I think what I need to do here is just really like hammer tests. And I think that is the way to pass this thing. So you went back to studying and you passed level two the following year. You recognized what you needed to do to follow through and succeeded after failing the first time. How did that feel? That is an incredible hurdle to get over. I think, you know, as you take, as you go through this CFA exam journey, I feel like, you know, level one, you're like, okay, I am like real deal now. I'm into this thing. It's only a 30% pass rate. I am, uh, I'm on my way. You pass level two and you're like, all right, I am actually going to do this. Like I am actually going to be a CFA charter holder. And so I took that attitude into level three. And my attitude was basically like, I, I am going to study my butt off. I am going to just spend a ridiculous amount of time just hammering this thing because I'm only taking this once. I did all the normal things that everybody does. I, I didn't see friends for six months. I missed weddings and you know, big events. And I had to apologize for family members for, for being a, you know, a bad son and cousin and friend and all that kind of stuff. But I really dove in deep and, and really gave it my all. After sitting in for level three, Greg decided to take a much needed trip to Cape Cod with his wife and his extended family as he eagerly awaited his level three results. It was like a rainy morning and it was the exam results day and I left my Blackberry. So my wife and I went down, standing in the rain. We got the Blackberry out of my car, you know, opened up my email, and I just saw one word, and that was fail. And I was just like absolutely gutted. 
I had just spent so much time. I really felt like I gave it my all. And it's even like painful now to think about it. I remember sit, you know, standing there in the rain with my wife and I'm just like, oh my God, like I can't believe this. I can't believe this. But it was true. And I remember, you know, going back in and, you know, telling my parents and, and my wife's parents and my parents cried like it was that emotional. You know, they knew how much I had put into this thing. I think it hurt them more than it hurt me. It was emotional, but at the same time, I was like, this is actually, I think where it might've changed for me in terms of the motivation for getting the charter. Somewhere along the path, it, it sort of changed from, all right, this was about external respect to this is a now an internal battle. The motivation very much went from external to internal. And I was like, I don't really care what other people think. If I'm going to do this, it's going to be for me. And so I decided to, all right, I'll do this one more time. And same thing. I started studying like in December or January, you know, for the May exam and went through my whole process, felt pretty good about it. I had definitely learned over the course of the exams that I just needed to absolutely hammer tests. Like that was the way for me to get really good at this. I failed several exams, I think, because I'd spent too much time reading, watching lectures, writing. I used to like write, rewrite all the study guide notes in my own notebook. What really worked was just test, 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 test. So many tests because then you see like what the exam writers are, all the different ways they're trying to trick you. Flash forward a few months. Greg has thoroughly prepared to retake level three. He is ready. But what happens next is something that he wasn't prepared for mentally that had nothing to do with his studying. I get into the exam room in the afternoon and I, whatever, reading all the directions and okay, do this, fill in this bubble, whatever. And uh, I accidentally rip a page out of my book, right? And I'm like, what the heck? It's, it's like a blank page. There's nothing on it, but it was like the second or second page in the book is like a intentionally blank page. I rip it out by accident and I'm like, all right, this is not a big deal, right? And then I look around and I'm like, oh God, like this is, I'm not losing out on this technicality. So I like raise my hand, the uh, proctor comes over and it's like, oh, we'll get you another book. And so meanwhile, the exam starts. All right. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, this exam has started. I don't have a book. So it's like one minute goes by, two minutes goes by, whatever. So then we're at like five minutes go by. They finally come around, give me another book. And by this time, I am like full on panic mode. Like I had never felt anything like that in my life. Like I was like in my early 30s at this time. My heart was, I thought I was going to like have a heart attack at the like, I think I was legit having a panic attack. I just did not recover. And I failed the exam. And I knew it as soon as I walked out of there. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, you know what? This thing is not meant to be. Like, uh, it's just not meant to be. I've dedicated too much of my life to this. And it's not going to happen. And so I told my wife, my family, my co-workers. I was like, you know what? It's unfortunately, it's just not going to happen for me. That was it. Greg decided he was done. 
he had no intention of trying again. Six months passed. He does not register for level three again when the window opens. So January comes and goes, not doing it. February comes and goes, not doing it. Finally, March comes around. And by the way, not a minor detail. I had had my first child in July. And so I have a little baby crawling around at that time. And finally, March comes around and I'm like, oh my God, like, am I going to regret it forever if I just don't finish this thing? Like, I know all this information. The first time I took it, I was in band 10, which was mean I just missed. Like, I know all this stuff. And so, okay, so I finally said to my wife, and God bless her because she had unbelievable patience with me throughout this whole process. But finally said to my wife, I said to my wife, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it one more time. I'm just signing up. I am like hardly going to study. All I'm going to do is take a ton of tests for like the next couple of months. I'm not going to tell anybody at work I'm doing it. I'm not going to tell anybody outside of immediate family that I'm doing it. And I'm just going to do it. And so that's exactly what I did. Just hammered tests. And I showed up, I took the morning part of the exam, walked out, called my wife. I was like, I just absolutely slayed that morning. And then I uh, go back in for the afternoon and I like felt like I was in a flow state or something. I was like, I am seeing everything these guys are trying to trick me on. And it is just like all laid out before me. Like, And I walked out of that exam and I was like, I just absolutely slayed that exam. And... I just knew, like, I, I was like, I knew that's, I'm done. Like, I, I finished. Greg, that must have been an amazing feeling. Being able to find that motivation that you needed to take it again and finally pass level three. At some point, it became less about external motivation, more about internal motivation. And more about picking yourself up off the ground when you fail. And, and honestly, like, for me, I think about uh, you know, you know, people ask, you know, is it, you know, what, what was the best part of doing the, the CFA and, and all that? And like, for me, like I gained, a, I certainly gained a lot of financial knowledge and I use it, you know, to this day. But for me, the, the biggest lesson was like, okay, you can do really, really hard things and you can get knocked on your butt again and again and again, and you can get up. That's really an amazing story of determination, Greg. What do you feel is the biggest thing you learned about yourself during this process? I am, and I have always been super impressed with people who can just pass these exams like their first time around, but that was not me. It is not me. And, and I think there's a lot of people like me that it really, really takes every bit of grit and persistence and everything they've got to get through these things. And so I thought, hey, if I share my story of failure and ultimate success, then that may help some people. And so I, I ended up writing a book called CFA Confidential, ended up you know, putting it up on Amazon. And I, I published that book 10 years ago now. And incredibly, I still get emails, like a couple of emails a month of people reading that and telling me that it's helping them. So super rewarding to put something out there in the world to try to help people and have it actually help people. So that's been a really cool project. I've always felt the same way. Making money to support yourself and your family is a necessity, but the most rewards come from being able to use your talents and experiences to give back to others. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Greg. 
I encourage everyone to go check out Greg's book because there's so much more to his story than we were able to capture in this podcast. And if you're enjoying my charter story, I encourage you to go to the platform you're listening to it on and leave us a review. It helps others find the podcast. Thank you and see you next time.